and welcome to the Jonathan Brandis podcast. We are the podcast that talks nothing but Jonathan Brandis. Just kidding. We're the Blast From Our Past podcast, but today we are doing an all-Jonathan Brandis episode. He starred in the 1992 movie Sidekicks, as well as the 1993 to 1996 show Sequest. And that's what we're talking. We're talking both that movie, that show, and then we're going to do a new casting of Sequest as if they were making a new show starring actors of today. I'm Adam. I'm John. And I love Jonathan Brandis, don't you? Let's just talk <laughs> Jonathan Brandis for like four hours. <laughs> Maybe not four hours. Yeah, maybe not. How did we get to this episode? A friend of mine who listens to the podcast uh, named Mike Poole requested that we do Sequest. It was one of his favorite shows, and I definitely watched it when I was younger. I think it was I think it was another one of those shows that our father introduced at least me to, because I would watch it with him. Okay. And when trying to figure out what movie would be good to pair with that, I saw the list that Sidekicks was on our list of movies to watch, and remember that they shared an actor. I figured it would be a good episode to do, because also, this year would mark the 15-year anniversary of his death and the 25th anniversary of Sequest. It seemed like a good pairing to, to kind of make it a, a Jonathan Brandis focus because he played a big part in a lot of, of movies and shows from our childhood. For me, I probably, I mean, other than Sidekicks, because this was a movie that I wrote down like on our, our list to do because I remember loving this film yeah. as a kid. But I was probably first introduced to Jonathan Brandis in NeverEnding Story 2. Yeah. It's a big drop from <laughs> NeverEnding Story 2 from the first one. Yes. But I still enjoyed it as a kid, so. He was also, came kind of a big star at the time, big teen star. From being in NeverEnding Story 2, he was in the original It. Yeah, the miniseries. Yeah, he's one of the kids. He had a, a movie, I didn't particularly like it, but I know that a lot of kids our age did, with a movie called Ladybugs with Rodney Dangerfield. Damn straight. I definitely watched it. It was a fun, cute little soccer movie. I definitely watched it. Yeah. He played a big part of our childhood, so I thought it was very sort of apropos to kind of put those two, at least these two together, to, to talk about him and and some of the i think some of the good work he did and hell we've already talked chuck norris in our walker texas ranger episode we even brought him back up in our billy jack episode so we are all for chuck norris as well so it just makes sense let's do sidekicks and let's do sequest so i'm good i'm set i'm ready john all right let's do this but 1992 when this movie came out what other kind of cool stuff happened in 1992? Some some fun stuff. You know, we're getting into the 90s. We've we've spent a lot of time in the 80s. So now we're kind of getting to the early 90s. 1992, the Billboard Top 100 year-end single was actually, I think, a really great song called End of the Road by Boys to Men. To me, Boys to Men is one of those bands that actually still sound good no matter how far away from the 90s we get. I wouldn't call them a boy band, but to me, their music still sounds good. Like, I, I know people who go back and listen to, like, NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and some of the, you know, earlier groups like that, but I, well, first of all, I never liked that then. And they feel dated, I, I can agree with that. But I think a lot of Boys to Men stuff, even, like, Motown Philly. Really, really good song. Yeah, those 90s R&B stuff does still work. You can still listen to it. I can, I can like, still listen to, like, Genuine. I'm just a dancer. I'm looking for a promise. 
Or who's the guy who pissed on people? <laughs> R. Kelly. <laughs> R. Kelly. R. Kelly's stuff. Like, it's still, I mean, his older stuff is still enjoyable. Right. The Oscar for Best Picture went to a great film called Unforgiven by Clint Eastwood. Fantastic. A couple of other interesting things of note. A young man from Canada set two Guinness World Records for the biggest selling reggae single in the U.S. and the highest charting reggae single in the U.K. And do you know what that was? Informer by Snow. Oh, yeah. That's reggae? I kind of just, it's more rap to me. Apparently they counted it as reggae. Okay. Interestingly enough, this really has nothing to do with it other than the song. When that song was released, Snow was actually in jail. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Uh, And the last thing from 1992, it saw the release of one of the, I would say now, classic video games. They've had so many iterations of this from when it was released to now. They've made a few movies of it, one of which I think was good, but I think it's a classic. Mortal Kombat was released. Get over here! I want us to go back and rewatch, and we will do Mortal Kombat eventually. Yeah, we're definitely going to do the movie. We had the soundtrack for Mortal Kombat. Like, we were we were all for the Mortal Kombat movie. I still listen to that soundtrack. It's a great soundtrack. I've got a couple that, like, hit my workout mix, so yeah. Um, and also, oddly enough, Mortal Kombat was the first game to receive a mature rating, but it was the entire reasoning for the development of the entertainment software rating board. <laughs> they got a mature rating because they were the reason the board was formed in the first place. So very cool because they thought it was way too violent, which it was, but it was still fun for us. Yeah, exactly. Damn straight. There's some uh, some tidbits from 1992. Fantastic. Thank you, John. All right. I guess without further ado, let's dive into sidekicks. Sidekicks from 1992 stars Jonathan Brandis, who plays Barry, Chuck Norris, who plays himself, Bo Bridges, who plays his dad. I think he's got a name, but i just going to call him the dad. It's Jerry. Jerry. Okay. The teacher is Julian Nixon, and this guy Mako is the uncle, the teacher's uncle, slash the karate master for Jonathan Brandis, and then also Danica McKellar, who you likely know as Winnie Cooper from The Wonder Years. She plays the love interest Lauren. And even though it's kind of a small role you can't forget joe piscopo oh god yeah i'm sorry i don't know how i could you definitely can't forget joe piscopo (laughs) we will definitely talk some piscopo shit yep the movie is directed by aaron norris who is the younger brother of chuck norris who is also like a eighth or ninth degree black belt on his own right so don't fuck with the entire norris family yeah he's directed some other chuck norrisy things like he directed some episodes of walker texas ranger he directed top dog if you remember that film and he directed other stuff like delta force 2 which funny enough delta force 2 is one of chuck norris's like shitty action films but it's one i actually own i own the dvd for that one i don't own delta force but i have delta force 2 someone gave it to me as a gag gift and i watched it sometime like last summer not very good 
Okay. Music in this film is done by Alan Silvestri, who we've talked multiple times about in this podcast. He did the music for Who Framed Roger Rabbit, as well as Flight of the Navigator. He also did the music for some other things that we'll probably get to, things like The Abyss. Things like Mac and Me. (laughs) We'll have to watch that and see if that holds up. Things like Summer Rental. John Candy film that I fucking adore. Oh, that's a classic. <laughs> yeah, he also did he did the music for Predator. He did the music for Forrest Gump. He did the music for the first Avengers movie and the Avengers movie that just came out. He is one of our great film composers, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and I I forgot his biggest thing, like probably the work that everybody knows best. He did Back to the Future. Oh, yeah. So our film starts with a very mysterious opening. We get like these ancient warriors kind of thing going on. We see this woman is in trouble. We get this like wild haired guy who's kind of wearing a mask is like going towards her. It's very ominous shit that's happening. We have no idea what the heck is going on. He pulls a knife and he's going to like sacrifice this girl. We don't know what's up. And then this white ninja jumps in. This white ninja is just kicking ass everywhere. He's saving the day. One thing that we kind of get pretty early on with like these fight scenes he's like taking on like a bajillion ninjas as well as like saving the girl and that kind of thing mm-hmm. is, is is very comical immediately we get humor in this movie by how ridiculous and over the top the action is already yeah one of the things i gotta <laughs> i gotta point out particularly is in this early scene the music the guitars that alan Silvestri is having playing he's doing like that like crazy shit while he's kicking other people's ass and it just like heightens the humor yeah (laughs) 
it's like, oh my god, this is over-the-top shitty 90s music <laughs> that fits well for the scene. But we see another white ninja pop in, and he ends up saving the girl, and they're just doing ninja kick-butt stuff. Like, at one point, they're, like, lock arms and, like, do this around-the-world kind of thing or whatever, where they're just like, it's humorous, it's stupid, but it's, it really sets up the tone for the movie pretty early on. Mm-hmm. The white ninja pulls off his mask, and we see it's Chuck Norris. Then we get the other white ninja pulls off his mask, and it's our character Barry, played by Jonathan Brandis. Um, and he's kind of like already setting up that he wants to be Chuck Norris's sidekick. He's the little buddy that helps out. And then we have like a hard cut to Barry is in school. Everybody's laughing at him. This kid has asthma. And we really find out immediately that he's a dreamer. Mm-hmm. Just like his never-ending story counterpart, he's a dreamer. But this guy's dreams, it's more like delusions. <laughs> it's not really dreamer. Right. He's, he is legitimately seeing these things in the real world to an extent. So he's quite delusional. But everybody's like laughing at him. We set up immediately that he's a dreamer and he is a nerd and like people don't really like him in school. I'm going to bring this up now because it's something that if you're paying attention grabs you. The woman in the scene is his teacher. So the woman that they save in his dream turns out to be his teacher. And I know this is probably early for this, but it just it bothered me. Every dream sequence he has in this movie, it's the teacher who gets saved or the one in trouble, not the girl who is, you know, supposedly his love interest. I think I think he had a hard on for his teacher, and that's why she was kind of the love interest in the dreams. Until like one of the very last dreams, it starts off as the teacher and then it turns into Lauren, the love interest. Okay. I think I guess it's like his transition from yeah, we're already kind of getting to the end, but who cares? <laughs> his transition from having his school crush on his teacher and then now he likes Lauren and that's that's kind of it but yeah it is it is kind of weird I mean he puts he puts people that he knows and people that he sees you know in the movie into his dreams the one who is in like every single one of them besides Chuck Norris is the teacher as like the damsel in distress each time so it is kind of strange but I think I related that to he had a crush on his teacher okay which is particularly weirder uh, when his dad starts dating the teacher and (laughs) it's just like "Eh, okay whatever We also just kind of see that Barry is obsessed with Chuck Norris. Like he brings up Chuck Norris to the class when he's talking about the dream and everybody just like makes fun of him for liking Chuck Norris. He's kind of a a crazed fan loving Chuck Norris. He carries around this black belt magazine with Chuck Norris on the cover the entire movie. But we also kind of immediately set up that Lauren, his love interest, this other girl in class, is kind of sweet to him. She's the only person who's nice to him and kind of tries to stand up for him. So his teacher, Noreen, has to kind of call his dad and kind of be like, oh my God, your son's a dreamer still. Get his head out of the clouds. Really, here we get a little bit of setup that the father and son aren't really all that close. That Barry and his dad are just, for some reason, you know, obviously the mother's not around, so we can assume maybe she passed away. Mm-hmm. And since then, they even kind of bring it up. Bo Bridges even brings it up that, you know, we had this thing happen to us where we should have gotten closer, which I'm assuming is his mother's death. Mm-hmm. They went farther apart. In the next scene, we see that the dad wants to sign up Barry for karate class. He's kind of finally putting some of this stuff together that his kid's a dreamer and he likes karate and he wants to be this kind of sidekicky thing or whatever. And so he signs him up for karate class. And here we meet Joe Piscopo. And the first thing that I thought when I saw this guy, I was like, man, that's a Joe Piscopo looking motherfucker. And then I look at the credits, I was like, oh shit, it is Joe Piscopo. <laughs> It was ridiculous. He he piscopos everywhere all over this movie. Yes. <laughs> He's ridiculous. He plays the owner of the Stone Dojo. Now your uh, father here tells me all you think about is this uh, art, this craft that has taken me years, years to master. <coughs> 
could you wheeze a little quieter, kid? I'm trying to talk here. And yeah, and and he's like the main villain, basically. Yeah, he's like the like the owner of like the Cobra Kai esque kind of place. The character's name is Crease, but the art the actor is Martin Cove, who plays the the Cobra Kai guy, the guy from Karate Kid. Yeah, the owner of that dojo. Yeah, and Piscopo is playing like pretty much just a caricature of him. I mean, this movie in itself has a lot of Karate Kid ripoff. Yeah, things to it, and that's fine. That's that's what it's kind of meant to be, I guess. I'm torn between calling it a parody, but not a parody, because it kind of makes fun of of stuff in certain plays and then not in others. With as over the top as Joe Piscopo is, you could definitely say he's playing a parody. Yes. Of yeah. the Cobra Kai kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, he's he's an asshole. <laughs> and a fun thing that we get some payoff later about is Barry is impressed by all the trophies that are in the room. And he even says like, oh man, I bet, I bet you're as good as Chuck Norris. And then Piscopo freezes and he gets like super angry. Yeah, I bet you're almost as good as uh, Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris? Chuck Norris? He doesn't compete anymore, kid. And one of the reasons, one of the main reasons he doesn't is me. He doesn't compete because I would kick his ass. Let's go, son. Come yeah. on. Kick his ass. Got you the first time. And he basically calls out Chuck Norris that he can kick his ass. It's just funny. It's just like, oh my god, I bet they're, they're just setting up that there's going to be a fun fight later. Yeah. Then cut to Barry is watching a Chuck Norris movie. It's something like probably out of like the Braddock series or something like that. And we get another kind of dream moment. Again, we see the teacher and we see here we see Joe Piscopo is like the villain this time. In a horribly racist Asian makeup. Yeah, ridiculously stereotypical bad <laughs> racist makeup. But we do get like a badass scene of Chuck Norris coming out of water with a minigun in his hand. Yeah. And then Barry is right next to him as a sidekick coming out of the water with another gun in his hand. But it's just, yeah, these dream sequences, there's not much to tell about them. They're all kind of the same kind of thing each time. And there's a lot of them. Like, holy shit, I forgot just how many dream sequences were in this film. But we cut to the dad basically turning off the movie and it kind of snaps Barry back into reality. Then we go to school and back at school, we get another kind of dream sequence thing with Chuck Norris hanging from a ladder. The teacher steps in and basically here we get the setup of the teachers trying to help out Barry. And she tells him about her uncle who can help him with karate. Uh, and then we get like a, a weird little scene of the uncle at a subway that just kind of sets up the uncle and his character uh-huh. where the, there's this super ass racist motherfucker behind the <laughs> uncle who is just like saying all these slurs and, and right, I mean, he's rightfully upset at a guy for smoking a cigar, but he's doing it in a very racist way. Yeah. And so the uncle kind of like solves the situation. And then also he has this other Asian dude stop smoking his cigar, but then he sneakily puts it in the, the asshole racist's coat and he's like freaking out and he didn't know it was very sly yeah but it was, it was just really all that scene was was to set up at the uncle one the uncle's kind of like quick he's quick-witted in the head as well as he's quick with his motions and you know he's it establishes that he can be a kick-ass karate master probably right the uncle is definitely sort of the mr miyagi of this oh yeah completely which is interesting because actually mako was considered for the role of mr miyagi ah okay that makes sense mako is probably most famous for being in the Conan movies. He actually narrates the first one and is plays the wizard. Yeah, that's what I know him for best from as the wizard from Conan. But anyone probably born in the 90s or even the 2000s or is a fan of anime will know him from the anime series Avatar, The Last Airbender, where he does the voice of Uncle. Fire is the element of power. The people of the Fire Nation have desire and will. 
and the energy and drive to achieve what they want. That's an anime that everybody has told me is a really good one with really good stories, and it's something that I should watch. I just haven't had the time. There's too much good shit right now. I know it, it is. We've we've watched the whole series. It's a great it's a great series. Nice. Well, it's still on my to-do list eventually. We then cut to a date, a weird date. That's It, it feels like a date that's happening between the teacher and the dad, uh, which just kind of comes out of nowhere. Uh-huh. It's really was more so just to get Barry and the uncle together and Bo Bridges and Noreen are just kind of like off chatting on their own, but it's very date-esque. Sets up their kind of like lovish interest, which we don't dive in too much in the film, but it's just kind of there. It's right. It's just kind of like there's, there's a subtlety of they're definitely going to be banging at some point. Yes. Maybe, maybe after the film's over. <laughs> but we get... The uncle talking to Barry and really it kind of as you put it, it really just kind of further sets him up as like the wise old Chinese man from film. He's very much the Mr. Miyagi. Um, we get them kind of talking in the kitchen and just setting that stuff up. But what even further helps us trust him as the potential karate master is we get these bikers, these drunk asshole bikers coming to the restaurant and the uncle has to go out and kind of like get them out of here. And he kind of does this drunken style kung fu kind of thing yeah that's what i was thinking too where he basically pretends that you know he's off but he ends up just kind of like beating up the bikers and they end up leaving and the moral of the story being don't believe just what you see you have to look at all things from all angles that kind of thing yeah i do like the uncle like he's kind of ridiculous at times but you also trust that he is wise and he knows his shit and any of his lessons they will come to fruition they will make sense and they will like get you better down the line you kind of like from what you've seen from him you trust that and one thing that he wants to do is get barry out of his like asthmatic issues and so he also like starts having barry walk to school and in this first time he's walking to school and we get another chuck norris dream these just kind of pop in like every every other scene it seems and he ends up seeing lauren on his walk and just kind of also further sets up like okay that's the love interest and there's that but we cut to school and here's where we get the bully we've kind of now we're fully setting up the bully one thing that of course is the bully is in the karate class that they're not using the joe piscopo karate class of course that's just how it has to happen another straight rip from the karate kid yeah exactly straight rip it's the johnny and in this gym class you get another dreamer spot this one's like the western version and and Chuck Norris and Barry enter this bar and in such parody kids movie fashion, the bartender asks them, Why do you have milk? <laughs> it's just like, uh, everybody laughs in the dream too, but it's just like, oh my God, that was just so fucking cheesy. Uh, and then the whole like draw scene where Dream Barry is kicking Joe Piscopo's ass with drawing his gun on him and shit like that. But it does end funny enough with something flying at Barry's head, who I uh, will want to set up that Barry can't really participate in the gym stuff because of his asthma. So he kind of sits off his side and this ball comes over while he's dreaming and punks him on the head and kind of knocks him back into reality. And the gym teacher... Jim Teaser's an asshole. I can't remember. Yeah. I can't remember his real name, but he was the guy. He was in Night Court, right? Yeah, it's uh, Richard Mull. Richard Mull. Okay, yeah, he's he's good. He's good in this film. I mean, he plays that kind of thing pretty fucking well of just like the big, intimidating, but like angry yet comical guy. Yeah. Um, and he has Barry climb a rope basically to just fucking shame him in front of everybody. Yeah, he's the kind of like gym teacher who's actually like a drill sergeant. Right. All up for mass shaming people in front of each other. Like, yeah, I don't think that would fly today no no you wouldn't be able to do that today but you know that was the 90s 
when we were all tougher. <laughs> we didn't give a shit if we had asthma or not. But he has Barry climb the rope and he's too scared. But then Barry uses his dream mentality and ha- and pretends that Chuck Norris is helping him climb and he gets all the way up to the top. Cute scene of everybody clapping and little triumphant moment for Barry there. Yeah. Barry and Lauren walk home together. A sad scene for Barry because he's thinking like, oh yeah, this girl likes me. And so he's like, well, all right, if you like me and I like you, let's do it. And then boom, she says, nah, you're in the friend zone, motherfucker. <laughs> I, fe- I felt bad for him. I-, I was a kid who was definitely in the friend zone a lot. <laughs> Barry is heartbroken. And we get another dream sequence where he can't breathe as well, representing his asthma. He also ends up having like a panic attack uh, with this dream or with dealing with his asthma as well. So his dad takes him to the hospital. The uncle and Noreen come to the hospital. Basically here they decide they're going to beat this asthma. They're going to kick asthma's ass with karate, John. <laughs> As one does. Yes. And here we get, finally, I guess it's not all that long into the movie, but it's long enough. We finally get like a training montage. You know, this is the stuff I remember is the training montages and then the karate tournament later on. Yeah. Everything else is extra that I don't really need. (laughs) Yeah. But like this training montage, they intercut like training montages in between like little scenes like crazy for like 30 or 40 minutes. It feels like (laughs) they have like training montage. Then here's a random scene where you kind of get an interesting line and then boom, another little training montage for another 30 seconds. And then another one little scene that something interesting happens and boom, another little training montage, Uh, which is fine. Yeah, it works well. It kind of keeps the pacing of this section like right here going. We're into the second act and we're definitely moving along and kind of getting the hero moving through his journey. Right. We get a scene after this first little section of the training montage uh, where Barry wants to now participate in gym class and the gym teacher just being a complete asshole to him but starts to get some of the respect from his gym teacher which is pretty good. We see the uncle is now gives Barry a set of nunchucks to start practicing with and that he you know if he hits himself with them too hard because they're like steel nunchucks he'll sting himself but it's just good for training like training nunchucks. Uh Funny scene I think he doesn't hit himself in the nuts the first time with him that kind of thing. When I was in college uh, I took taekwondo for fun just for something physical to do um and it was taught by uh another student he was telling me one time when he was when he was younger he was practicing with nunchucks at home when he was alone probably when he was about 11 or 12 and he was practicing and he whipped it around his head and it came around and knocked him in the face and knocked him out cold oh shit (laughs) and he didn't wake up until his parents got home about four or five hours later (laughs) damn so always practice nunchucks with a friend yeah (laughs) <laughs> so in these in-between montage things, we also get some moments of there's flirting with the teacher and the dad. We see that she is a martial artist as well. It's kind of very Tai Chi-esque, that what she does, very graceful. And the dad basically just kind of in awe of her. It's kind of, we get some cheesy moments for that, but... It just, you know, further sets up that they're kind of a secondary love interest in the film as well. We then cut back to school and we get another bully moment. Here we get Barry's confidence is building, though, because of karate Mm -hmm. and he fights back. And so now we get like the bully actually fighting with Barry. And even though I imagine the bully has been training in karate for probably years upon years. Right. But Barry learns in like two montages is like boom now he can not kick his ass but like there was there was good back and forth yeah both people were getting in licks so that was kind of good though i liked it wasn't like the bully still just completely clobbering him but as there was enough licks in there that barry gave the bully uh that was just like okay i think he can do this if we just have one more montage john i, I bet he can beat him <laughs> i feel like that's my life adam i'm always one training montage away from the big thing yeah <laughs> But this fight is broken up by the gym teacher, uh, and the gym teacher basically, at the end of it, 
says, Barry! Not bad, kid. Not bad at all. <laughs> Good job at beating up other kids. <laughs> you know, violent salt is going to solve all your problems. That's... <laughs> <laughs> and also now Lauren likes him, so she kind of like has switched over from, oh, we're just in the friend zone to, okay, basically you're my boyfriend. So violence and him for kicking a bully in, you know, in the stomach and face that gets you the girl and it gets you the respect of your teachers. That's what I've learned from this film. Yes. It's the only way to get ahead in life. We cut to another dream sequence, gang-based one with Joe Piscopo uh, being very, very weird. <laughs> But this one, this is the one where it starts off with the teacher and then it moves over to Lauren as like the damsel in distress. So it's like here it's like, okay, Lauren's definitely his number one gal. Uh, we cut to school again. Here the bully drops off a karate flyer for this karate tournament. Here, tough guy. You want a real shot at me? Well, there's your chance. If you're not too chicken. Barry wants to do it. We get another montage. We get a montage now of breaking wood and breaking cement, that kind of thing. Let's just move on with the montage. You cut to the tournament and we find out it's a team competition and they only have three because Barry's going to do something. The uncle's going to do something. Uh, Noreen, the teacher's going to do something, but they don't have a fourth, John. Oh my God. What are they going to do? I don't know, Adam. Ugh, it's just, it's just terrible. I mean, and, and that's where the film ends. And then they just, they don't have the tournament. So it's kind of weird. <laughs> It's kind of really weird that they would do that. I'm so that's sidekicks. Only kidding. <laughs> but no, they, Chuck Norris is there just going around at karate tournaments in Texas, as he would probably, though. Right. We get a funny little scene that continues the Joe Piscopo versus Chuck Norris thing where Piscopo goes up to Chuck Norris, basically taunts him to his face. Well, 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 what a surprise. Chuck Norris. Too bad you're not still fighting. I'd love to kick your ass. Only in your dreams, Stone. Yeah, it'd be your worst nightmare, Chuck. Right after that, the uncle and uh, Noreen basically talk Chuck Norris into joining their team as to be the fourth member. Like, oh my God, how cool. And there's like a little scene of Barry kind of meeting his idol and Chuck telling him that he's going to be the fourth man and they're going to be able to compete. So, yay. I want to know because they don't actually show the conversation. They just show her going to talk to him and then he's the member of the team. If you're Chuck Norris famous chuck norris just hanging out at a competition what could this woman possibly have said that convinced him because i mean yes she could be like well he's being bullied and yada yada and that's understandable and he could have you know offered support but to be like yes i'm gonna go put on my gi and we're gonna kick some ass i don't know what possibly she could have done or said that convinced him that that he should do this my head went dirty the immediately <laughs> you said that she made it happen. Way to go, girl. All right. You did what you had to do. But they have to have a team name. Funny, they use the team name The Frying Dragon, which is the restaurant that Noreen and uh, the uncle run. Just a little side note. But here, now we get the tournament starting, and this is the best part of the film finally happening. This is where I remember the most. It kind of feels like the movie is in, it, it, yes, it's in three parts, but it almost feels like it's three different movies. Yeah. You have the beginning part, which is all the dream sequences and the... Uh, you know, everything else, which oddly enough, I noticed this as I'm watching it. There's so many dream sequences in the beginning. I'm like, the story is actually moving pretty slow because like every yeah. 10 minutes, there's another dream sequence. Yeah, it was a lot. And then you get the training section and then you get the tournament. Yeah, but the tournament, yeah, the tournament is my favorite part. And it really kind of gets, it gets better because the beginning section was so moving so slow with the dreaming stuff. And then the training stuff was better. It's building up some momentum. And then here at the tournament, this is like, my favorite part of the film. All the fun action stuff happens here. 
Absolutely. We get to actually watch some cool, talented people doing some karate or some other like demonstration stuff. We actually, we also see the teacher does her routine. So she's doing well. But then we see this kick-ass person from the stone dojo. They get first and they win the women's freestyle. But to be fair, that woman was better. She, oh yeah, God, yes. <laughs> that was a significantly, honestly, I didn't think that Noreen's should have gotten even second place, but she got second place. Right. But yeah, yeah, the, the other woman's routine was, was significantly better. I was going to ask you, because I've noticed this in, you notice it in The Karate Kid, I noticed in this one and, and, you know, other movies that have sort of tournament things. Whenever they show tournaments, or like Bloodsport would be, I think, another kind of good example. Whenever they show these tournament stuff, they'll show other people fighting. The other people fighting always look way better yeah. than the actual <laughs> star in the movie. Yeah. And yet somehow the star in the movie wins. Agreed. Like particularly with Noreen and her routine was was impressive-ish. I mean, it was it was good. It was I couldn't do yeah, it. Yes, she's probably an actor, and maybe she has done some of this stuff before. But I mean, she's an actor. Yeah. Where this other woman they probably got who does that for a living, or you know, she's been training for decades in that. It looks awesome when she does it. Yeah. At least they made her lose to her because that did make sense. If she had won, I to me that wouldn't have made sense at all. Yeah. So then we move on to the second event which is brick breaking and this is what the uncle is going to do he's late for some reason they have him be late i don't really just to add drama i guess there really was no other reason for it <laughs> so the bully is the brick breaker in stone dojo's team group and the uncle is for his and so the bully gets eight and he breaks eight bricks and then the uncle goes in adds a brick and he ends up breaking nine and so he gets it he kicks ass I don't know why they had the bully face off with the uncle. It should have been the bully who did the weapons because that would have been against Barry. That would have made some sense, but they didn't go that route. The main thing, as opposed to like a fight, was like brick breaking at the end, which we'll get to. But I just thought that was kind of strange. But he breaks nine bricks, so he wins the brick breaking competition. Fantastic. Great job, uncle. So the bully got second. So now each of them have a first place and a second place. Adam, the editor, cutting in. While editing this podcast, I noticed a pretty big continuity error. The uncle starts off with eight bricks. He asked to add another. And then when we cut to him actually breaking the bricks, he's got 10. So maybe the script supervisor in Sidekicks really fucked up or the editor cut out some stuff. But I totally noticed they were way off. Next is the weapons competition. With weapons, we get Barry does his nunchucks. So we first kind of set up that the Stone Dojo has this pretty kick-ass swords weapons guy. And you kind of see a little hint of it and he looks pretty badass. And then Barry does his. As he's doing his thing, he, we kind of here we dive into another dream sequence. But it's basically he kind of turns himself into the white ninja that we saw from the very beginning. And when Barry is doing his that you can see it's just him. He looks good. And then he imagines himself as the white ninja and that's obviously where they put in a stuntman right who is really good with nunchucks because that guy was sick like yeah. you actually see some insane moves and then you kind of cut back to barry at the end of it close up on the face from the white ninja to barry and so you just kind of have to assume that he kind of went into that mode and did all of that too yeah i have to say i mean you could almost say that it's cheating that they did that but i thought that was a really smart way of doing it yeah i mean it tied in really well with barry and like his delusional dreams and that kind of shit too yeah so uh, it worked really well and i agree it was pretty smart and it was impressive to see the martial artist who was actually really good with nunchucks anyway and i'd much rather watch him than 
and watch Barry do a half-assed version. Right. So. Well, and then and then we get a justification of when Barry wins. Yeah. If in your head you're seeing the white what the white ninja did, and that helps to make the believability of Barry winning over the other guy. Yeah, absolutely. So sweet. So Barry won the weapons event, and then now we get to men's freestyle fighting, which is here where Chuck Norris enters to help. We get the Chuck Norris and Joe Piscopo kind of set up their their whole rivalry is kind of now coming in. Um, and we get a little montage here of just the two of them kind of running through some guys, you know, very martial arts tournament style, them kicking some ass, some other people kicking each other's asses. And then, but you definitely, you can see their the difference in their demeanor in the in that montage because every time Joe Piscopo wins, he puts a head, yeah, and like is really excited about it. Every time Chuck Norris beats someone, he kind of like helps them up, pats them on the shoulder, like good fight, man. Yeah. What's more sportsmanlike and obviously showing the personality difference. Yeah, absolutely. We get to Chuck and Piscopo are in the finals. Very classic bad guy does a cheap shot kind of thing, which Piscopo does to to land an early shot. Then besides that one cheap shot, Chuck Norris just destroys him. Yeah. Like after that, like he doesn't, Piscopo doesn't get another fucking point and Chuck Norris is just kicking his ass. We get that Piscopo elevation though. Like at one point he like, you know, takes his shirt off, which he looks jacked though. <laughs> I mean, Piscopo <laughs> looked really good. He had a good body. And so I'm jealous of him there, but he was acting ridiculous. <laughs> And we get a flying dragon kick, I think it's what it's called, that Chuck Norris does to Joe Piscopo, and he lands it right on Piscopo's face. Uh-huh. And there's like this silly little spin that Piscopo does, and Chuck wins. Uh, that's like the final point that he wins. But I, I am almost certain that headshots don't count in tournaments, but maybe, maybe just the same exact issue with Karate Kid. I'm sure it depends on the tournament. Yeah. Some, some but, will. Uh, <laughs> but usually ones that allow headshots, you have to be wearing like padding. Yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. So Chuck Norris beat Piscopo. He beat him pretty handily. Yeah. I wish it was a little bit closer in that battle at least, but I guess they kind of had to show that Chuck Norris was vastly superior to Piscopo. Yeah. And the only way that he could even get one point is from uh, a cheap shot. Yep. So... They set up now that there was a tie between the two dojos at the end of the tournament. Now there has to be a tiebreaker. But my question is, how the fuck is there a tie? (laughs) Because... The Stone Dojo, the only event that they won was the female competition. Right, the forms or whatever. But the Frying Dragon, Barry won his event, the Uncle won his event, and Chuck Norris won his event. So they got three number ones and a second place where the Stone Dojo got three second place and one first place. How the fuck does that end end up being the same amount of points? I don't get that. Doesn't make any goddamn sense. I don't, I don't know. I can't, I can't tell you. That's why this movie sucks, John. I don't know. Let's get, uh, let's get Aaron Norris on the phone. Yeah. And uh, we'll find out what he has to say. (laughs) That bothered me. I mean, they could have, they could have at least tied in the like, you know, oh, there were some other events that we didn't see. Or maybe if in the forms event, Noreen got third or fourth, then, then it would have made sense points wise, but it made zero sense with how, how they got to this tie. Yeah. And that, that pissed me off, but whatever. That's how they set it up. And based on a coin toss, Frying Dragon gets to choose who is going to be doing the event. And so they choose that it will be Barry. And then the Stone Dojo, they're going to choose what the actual event will be. And they choose Brick Breaking. So now everything culminates in this finale of Breaking Bricks, which I thought was a strange thing because, yeah, there was some setup for Barry to break wood and then bricks. But it wasn't like his main focus in the training montages earlier. 
Yeah. When it comes to his rivalry with the bully, you know, they even had like a fight earlier on and we didn't get to see the finish of the fight. So I was hoping we were going to get a fight between the bully and Barry. That only makes sense. Yeah. Instead, we get who can break more bricks. And there, there was very, there was like no setup for this to be the main event. And it, and we, to me, it, it did bother me that I didn't get that fight at the end between Barry and the bully we didn't you know we, there was plenty of setup for it and we just didn't get that event instead we get break breaking which is a really cool thing right and I'm glad we have that but it's not it's not satisfying for me enough as the audience member I agree they do like a first initial round where like they break seven bricks each or whatever and then there's they're gonna do eight and the bully says no, no no give me one more so he's gonna do nine one thing that did bother me another inconsistency <laughs> that bothered me is the announcer says mr Chilini is asking for another brick he's going for a record breaking nine bricks it's not record breaking because just 15 minutes ago <laughs> the uncle broke nine bricks yep so it's not record break it's a record tying amount yep so well like the writing is all over the place (laughs) but he can't do all nine he only ends up getting eight and so if barry can break nine bricks he will be the winner the uncle kind of adds to the intensity and kind of like the focus for barry because who's kind of like shaking right now and he sets the bricks on fire which i thought was strange yeah it makes one it makes no sense two the tournament would never allow someone to do that no i also feel like yeah because that could potentially change the structure of the bricks i know you like you heat up stone to an point i bet it gets you know to some point it would get softer and easier to break right so i didn't think that that was quite legal you know <laughs> the one person has to do the exact same thing as the other person but more and then now we can't just change it and so fuck it whatever we're like shit's all over the place john (laughs) so we have these flaming bricks and to no one's surprise barry breaks all nine bricks they win their team of four wins the tournament yay there was much rejoicing At the very, very conclusion, we get a little scene of Barry and Chuck are talking at this bench, just kind of like a little wrap up. And we get a little surprise thing of Chuck disappearing at the end. So I guess he was maybe that Chuck was part of the dream was just Barry's dream. Well, so, so, the, so the question is, is, is that is the Chuck that he's talking to at the end the dream or was Chuck the dream the whole time? Yeah. <laughs> well, then who was their fourth? That's the that's the question. That's that's why I don't like that scene. Yeah, it is. It does. It adds a little strange thing. But there is also to add even further. There's a little thing like when he looks back at the Chuck on the bench and he's gone, and then he just kind of like turns around. You kind of he says something. I can't remember what it is, but like it's kind of like shows that he respects his father. Like oh, I'm gonna go over to my father and kind of ties up that that their relationship is all tied up now. Yeah, and it's better. So maybe. This is just a fan theory. Maybe it wasn't Chuck and it was just a, a dream the whole time, but his dad was the one who was the fourth team member and beat up Joe Piscopo. And because Barry didn't respect him, he just, he was delusional and thought it was Chuck Norris the entire time, but it was really fat Bo Bridges who was beating up Joe Piscopo. So, huh? so what, what do you think? was Bo Bridges a karate master the whole time? <laughs> he had to be, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. That didn't make much sense. But I agree that they left it, you know, it, yeah, with Chuck disappearing at the end, it left open some stuff that, that just didn't, <laughs> you had to second guess some things in the earlier film, yeah. parts of the film that you're just like, well, that didn't, that didn't For, make it. In my head, the only way this works is if he just is talking to a um, dream Chuck Norris at the end. Chuck Norris had a, he had a flight he had to get to he had another you know another Delta Force movie to make yeah you know exactly that's I guess that's 
We'll say that's Barry releasing Chuck Norris from his brain. There you go. And that was that one one last talk with delusional dreamer Chuck, and then he sets him go. And we get a cute little thing where Barry left behind his black belt magazine that he had been carrying around everywhere. Uh, this kid sees it and picks it up, and he's in a wheelchair, but it kind of gives you like this hope of like anything is possible. It's kind of like similar to the end of The Last Jedi, where that you see that little kid who like force picks up the broom and yeah. very similar. I think uh, The Last Jedi probably stole a lot from this film. <laughs> And that, that was one of the scenes. Especially the white ninjas. Especially the white ninjas. So that's the end of Sidekicks. I definitely liked this movie as a kid. And I definitely like this movie a lot less as an adult. <laughs> I thought I was going to end up loving it just because, like, you know, it was very Karate Kid. And I remember that. And But it added, like, a, a whole layer of, you know, with Chuck Norris and that whole kind of stuff, which I thought was fun at the time. And that part was fine. But the, all the dream sequences, and there's so fucking many of them i just got really tired of them like the best part of the film was the tournament yeah and seeing some of that stuff like joe piscopo was just ridiculous and i i'm glad he got beaten up but i didn't feel satisfied enough the movie left me wanting more honestly it just made me want to go watch some actual martial arts tournaments on youtube instead of watching this movie ever again i probably liked it a little better than you did but i would say it it was very slow to start and it wasn't really until sort of the the montages and the uncle shows up where I thought it started to pick up and then the tournament is really where it shines. So yeah, it's it's hard for me to highly recommend this film for anyone. It's definitely if if you didn't watch this movie as a younger person, it's not worth your time in my opinion. Don't go check it out and thinking it's going to be a really good one, but if you did like it when you were younger, it might be worth a view just just in case you want to check it out again. It's, and it, it's got some still some cool stuff to it, but not my favorite movie that we've gone back and checked out. All right, and now we are going to talk Sequest. Uh, Sequest television show ran from 1993 to 1996. Originally titled Sequest DSV, and then in its final season was changed to Sequest 2032. DSV. I, I, I didn't find out, but it was it Deep Sea Voyage? Was that what it stood for? I believe so. Series was created by, and I'm going to, I don't know how to say this guy's first name, Rockney O'Bannon, uh, who also created the TV show Farscape. Oh, okay. Had a big slew of characters. It was kind of like, I guess it, it was basically the Star Trek, but underwater. Yeah. So it had lots of characters. Um, and they changed. And they changed, yes. They changed. Um, our, our initial, in our first two seasons, uh, it starred Roy Scheider of Jaws fame. You're going to need a bigger boat. As Captain Nathan Bridger. Obviously, it also uh, starred Jonathan Brandis as a character named Lucas, who was kind of like the tech wizard. And then you get a slew of other small characters. Ted Raimi played a character named Lieutenant Timothy O'Neill. Two of the DeLuise brothers, which would be Dom DeLuise's kids, Peter DeLuise and Michael DeLuise, had parts in the second and third seasons. And they added quite a bit of extra characters in that second season. Yeah, there's so many characters, actually, it's kind of hard to keep track. Especially if you haven't seen it in a long time and you're just going back and watching, you know, five or six episodes to get a feel for the season and you're like, wait, who is that person? Why are they there? (laughs) 
what happened here? <laughs> I get even though it's it's only three seasons, and actually it's really only two and a half. Yeah. The third season was canceled halfway through for various reasons, uh, partially in part because Roy Scheider left the series after the second season because he didn't like where the writing was going. And then also Steven Spielberg was one of the producers of the show, and he also left after the second season. So I I imagine that played a large part of why oh, yeah. it only lasted half a season and then they just canned it. That makes sense. So it's a group of, and it's military, a uh, military group. They're in this uh, epic sea vessel, kind of looks like a squid called the Sequest, um, and they just kind of, you know, it's it's like Star Trek. They go on wacky adventures. I wouldn't call them wacky adventures, but you know what I mean. The first season seemed very... I watched three episodes. I watched one from season one and then like two from season two. I didn't do a season three one, even though I love Michael Ironside. I didn't do season three partly because like I knew they only went halfway through it and like like I was like, eh, not the point. But that first season seemed very, I mean, very sciencey driven, very like environment driven. Yeah. And then in the second season, they got a little bit crazier. They got a little bit more science fiction-y kind of fantasy even. They put in more action and even more of like the military kind of shit it seemed. Yeah. And there were, I watched several episodes and there were pros and cons to both everything was very sort of yes sort of sciencey and down to earth and actually i believe if i remember correctly in the very first episode they said that the year was 2018 yes yeah (laughs) it's the world of now john which begs the question how did they go from 2018 to 2032 in just three seasons yes Yes. their their timelines are way off because even in season two i think they jumped to 2021 or something like that yeah but i watched the season two episode one and they talked about it as it was just like the last the last season was just like the year before not like multiple years right so away from each other so that yeah they're uh, again uh jonathan brandis's projects um they need better writing because (laughs) (laughs) this one yeah the timelines were way off yeah i'm not gonna blame uh brandis for that though fine and the first two seasons you i we mentioned you have roy scheider he left after the second season and uh, michael ironside came in as the replacement captain and also in season two you got the some additional weird characters i mentioned peter deloise he plays a character called dagwood who is not entirely human he is listed as a gelf not a gilf yeah. that's something different <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know a couple gills. <laughs> oh, yeah. But a gelf was a ge- genetically engineered life form. And he's kind of got this weird, I don't know if it's supposed to be a tattoo or like a giant vein under his, you know, under his skin and his head. But he, he's sort of, I guess, the data? Not really. He's way too dumb. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I can't even think of what I would equate it to. Yeah, he's he's kind of like the, uh, hell no, I was going to say he was like the, uh, the Dustin Hoffman from Rain Man, but he's not, he's still too dumb. He's not quite as smart as Rain Man. Maybe he's maybe he's more the Hodor. Oh yeah, of the, yeah. Of the series, he's the muscle but not the brains. Yeah, Hodor. I like that one. Yeah, that's that's much better. Um, and then a few other characters. I went went back. I watched several episodes. Uh, for me, it was about fifty fifty. Like whether I thought they were decent episodes or not so good episodes. Oh, and the uh, obviously the one that I forgot to mention is that they have a talking dolphin. Yeah, I was, I was like, when do you get into the dolphin, John? <laughs> Uh, it's a dolphin that they that can, they've learned to. I I can't remember if they they adapted him to be able to speak. No, I mean they they had like this technology. The voice of Darwin the dolphin was done by our old friend Frank Welker. Yeah, he even makes it to Sequest. That's right. Not just cartoons. He's in everything. Everything. Uh, one fun little extra note here. I was looking through the people who directed episodes of Sequest. Uh-huh. I couldn't find out which episode it was, but Ivan Kirshner directed an episode. And does that name Ivan Kirshner 
ring a bell for you? It does, but I can't place it. He directed maybe the best science fiction single film of all time. Ivan Kirshner directed Empire Strikes Back. Ah. And he he okay. ended up, he directed one episode. It was actually the very last credit that Ivan Kirshner had. He still, he died, he died like in the 2010 or something I saw. But the last thing he worked on was Sequest. This, that was the last thing he ever directed was an episode of Sequest. So this show was so bad, <laughs> apparently, that Ivan Kirshner quit directing yeah (laughs) killed his career yeah i personally thought the show was pretty fucking boring particularly maybe that season one episode i watched but just in general in in watching season two episode one they obviously try to get a little edgier and whatnot because like they have roy scheider like kind of drive up on a motorcycle and looking more badass. And they have Lucas, uh, Jonathan Brandis's character is like making out with this bikini clad girl. And like, they try to get a, li- a little bit more edgier and try to like get the youth to to watch the show. But obviously they are just not getting the ratings. Yeah. And so I think, you know, obviously they only last two and a half seasons. Yeah. But yeah, the show was okay. I- I'm not a particularly huge Star Trek fan. And so this, which is exactly Star Trek just underwater, hell, it even had the music was so similar to Star Trek music, in my opinion. The more I watched episodes, the more I started to like the opening song. It was such a ripoff of Star Trek just underwater. It, it just didn't do it for me. It was pretty fucking boring. I remember the show a little bit as, you know, from younger, pretty much from either you or dad watching it or whatever, but it wasn't one that watching these episodes that got me to really wanting to watch it more. It also didn't help that both sidekicks and Sequest were really fucking tough to find. Yes. Like I could only find sidekicks like a YouTube video, which had solid quality. So I'm glad of that. But Sequest, it's not streaming anywhere i couldn't get the dvds on netflix and so i had to also just do youtube for it and the quality on youtube for sequest was really shitty so that didn't help they have the dvds for purchase on amazon but it seemed a bit much to purchase the entire series just to review the stuff so yeah i ended up buying a dvd of sidekicks but i had to buy it on ebay because it's not available anywhere yeah like this is the only place to find sidekicks was on ebay and even then the quality of the dvd is not great oh geez yeah (laughs) I don't know if, if Aaron Norris is holding on to the rights for this or something. I don't, I don't know why they didn't haven't released it. <laughs> yeah, he's put it into the uh, the Aaron Norris vault, very similar to the Disney vault. You know, he keeps it and lets it build momentum and, and, and financial stability before he releases it to make millions upon millions of dollars, I'm sure. <laughs> No, I mean, there's so many similarities, like I said, between the music, even Lucas's character or Jonathan Brandis's character, Lucas, was just kind of a ripoff of Wesley Crusher, yeah. in my opinion. Who do you like better, John? Do you like Wesley Crusher better or do you like Lucas better? Wesley Crusher. Wesley Crusher, <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, that was an easy ass answer. Yeah. But this show wasn't, certainly wasn't for me. I hate to say it because I, I wanted it to, I wanted it to be good going back. It's too slow. I was torn between kind of some of the exciting, well, relatively exciting things that happen in the second season. They get a little bit more action-y stuff and actually enjoying a little bit more of the sort of 
dark storytelling that kind of happens in the first season. Maybe someday as a on a nostalgic bender, I might buy the whole DVD set and watch through it just because I've kind of done this thing where old TV shows I've gone through it and I've just watched them all no matter how bad or good they are <laughs> just to kind of get through it, but I don't I don't see that happening anytime soon. You know, it, and it's another one of those things if you if you remember it fondly, you know, cuz I mean like the first season of Star Trek: The Next Generation, the quality was not great, the wiring was not great. You know, who knows what could have happened with this series? Because a lot of, you know, some of the saying is that a show really finds its footing on the third season. Obviously, this one didn't because they canceled it halfway through. Yeah, it slipped and fell. And you know what? Maybe if Scheider and Spielberg had stayed on, that could have happened. But, I mean, we'll never know. I mean, maybe if you liked it as a kid, you can go back and watch it. If you've never seen it. Don't bother. I like the idea, some of the concepts, but to me, the, to so, too many of the characters are too similar and hard to distinguish kind of what they did, what their role was. Yeah, I agree. You know, I will say, at least on Star Trek, you could tell what someone's role is based on what color of shirt they were wearing. But if you always wanted to try and talk with dolphins, maybe this is the show for you because you could do that. There you go. There's, there's one good thing about the show. There you go. All right. So that is uh, Sequest. This episode of the Blast From Our Past podcast is brought to you by Jonathan Brandis trying to sell you Captain Crunch. Okay, today's topic. Captain's outdated, you say? Au contraire. No denying this nautical wild man's great crunch. <laughs> but this I love. I'm pulling you guys. You guys can get this great crunch at the store. And this... Captain Crunch is part of a balanced breakfast. Now, don't get me wrong, I love this guy, but Captain... Ditch the hat, all right? <laughs> Check out that dude. Keep the hat. Keep the hat. All right. Time to crunch up. All right. So now we're going to recast Sequest. See if we can't come up with a version that we think will be a little bit more exciting. Of course, this would really have more to do with writing than the cast, but uh, it seemed like a good one because there's a lot of different very, you know, different characters you can use. And I boiled it down to uh, quite a few. There's about seven characters here. Obviously, we're going to do the captain, Captain Bridger. That was Roy Scheider's character. Uh, we're going to do kind of the medical officer, which was Catherine Hitchcock. That was the character's name anyway. And then a couple of the other uh, kind of crewmen, you had a guy named Commander Jonathan Ford and uh, the other guy I mentioned before, Timothy O'Neill. He lasted the entire series and he was kind of like the nerdy guy from what I remember seeing. Yeah, kind of the kind of the one of the nerdy guys. And then obviously we got to do Lucas, who was the kind of kid tech wizard. Dagwood, who only shows up in who doesn't show up until the second season, but he is kind of at least he was something different. And you could tell what he was from just from looking at him. So he's kind of the the genetically engineered Hodor, if you will. Mhm. And then just for funsies, uh, we're going to recast the voice of Darwin. Just because we love Frank Welker so much yeah. <laughs> and we talk about him that we're like, all right, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll recast the dolphin again. Yeah. Plus, nowadays, you could do something a little bit different with it and instead of just the sort of slightly mechanical sounding voice that they used for it. Since we're there, let's start with Darwin. Okay. Obviously, we're just talking about a voice. Guy went through my head. I, I didn't want to just say Frank Welker. 
It's easy to, though. <laughs> I went through kind of, you know, different voice actors I've, I've heard in my head and, you know, what kind of quality of voice I wanted to hear from what would have been like a, an altered dolphin voice. For some reason, my head kept going to, to Patton Oswald, but I was like, that's way too comical. But I actually, I ended up settling on someone who does comedy, but I have seen him do some, some serious stuff. Whether or not you like his shows, you cannot deny he's a great voice actor. Uh, I went with Seth MacFarlane. Sounds like someone's screaming. What? What is it, boy? What are you trying to say? It sounds like Loretta is screaming. Trouble at the old mill? What are you, insane? Somebody fall through the ice? It's summer. Bobcat? Ro, 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 ro. Loretta's in trouble? Come on, boy! Oh, yeah. Yeah, he has a bunch of different voices, and yeah, I think that's a pretty good call. I think I, I like that call better than mine. That's a good choice. Who'd you go with? I went with a, a voice actor, a very accomplished voice actor who has done a shit ton of things. He's he's very comical and his voice is very comical, but he can do a bunch of different types of stuff. But I mainly went with him because he already does a voice of a character who lives under the sea and that is SpongeBob SquarePants <laughs> voice actor Tom Kenny. It's no secret that the best thing about a secret is secretly telling someone your secret, thereby secretly adding another secret to their secret collection of secrets secretly tom kenny is definitely an extremely talented voice actor but i would have never considered, <laughs> considered it for this <laughs> but i mean it kind of makes sense it kind of makes sense He's, he's cornering the underwater voice market. And so he starts with SpongeBob and then he's taken over with Darwin. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I, I don't, I'm sure Tom Kenny could do a good job. Yeah, he's got he's got different. It's not just the SpongeBob voice that he does. He does a bunch of different stuff, too. Oh, but. yeah, he does. He does tons of stuff. All right. Dagwood or Gelf. Mm hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait. No, no. Not Gilf. Not Gilf. Gelf. Yeah. <laughs> I want to hear your pick for this. So it was by no accident that I used the name Hodor before because I cast Christian Nairn, who played Hodor as my new Dagwood. Okay. Uh, very, you know, I, very one-to-one, but I'm just like, you know what? Dagwood was very physically strong. Uh-huh. And that character was, the prototype was initially meant to be like a military thing. And if Christian Nair could lose a little bit of weight, though, but he is a 6'10 guy. He's a huge guy. And you could think that, like, okay, the military would make these really big 6'10 artificial life forms to go kill other people and whatnot. And then just this first one kind of ended up being too dumb. Um, I know it's super typecasting, but <laughs> yeah, that's who I went with. I went with Hodor himself. Okay. I went a little against the grain for this one. And so obviously Dagwood's kind of the, the you know, he's the muscle. He is dumb. So it, it, you know, you don't necessarily have to have someone with you know, Shakespearean acting chops to do this, but they've still got to be able to emote. So, I switched it up and I actually cast as Dagwood WWE Diva Asuka. Part in because there was very few women in the cast. Yeah, that's true. It was a couple, that kind of at best. I say I, I don't know Asuka, but she looks very intimidating. I bet she would. She could probably be fine. You don't. You definitely don't need a Shakespearean actor, and I'm doubtful that she is. But okay, that's interesting. I'll take it. I'll take interesting. Yeah, yeah. I don't dislike it. Mine, mine is very much a like a one to one, and yours is kind of going off on your own thing. So, I'm, but I'm cool with that. All right, now our Jonathan Brandis character, uh, Lucas. I'll go ahead and say mine. You know, you you gotta find kind of a young, good looking kid. To kind of fill this role, because that's kind of what Jonathan Brandis was. He was the teen heartthrob at the time. He was one of the teen heartthrobs at the time, you know, putting him in this role. So I'm like, what other shows has good-looking people in it? Everything on the CW. 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so my pick for Lucas, my pick for Lucas is KJ Appa, who plays Archie on Riverdale. Oh, yeah, good-looking kid. I've, I've never seen Riverdale, but I'm just popping up pictures of this guy. I mean, Riverdale is a super popular show, isn't it? Based on like. Archie comics? Yes, it's Archie, Betty, Veronica, and Jughead. That's so weird. And they've made like a teen drama based on it, like a CW, like Dawson's Creek style. Yep. That's so crazy. Uh, yeah, good looking kid. I could I could see that. I went a slightly different route. Okay. I focused on the character not being a teen heartthrob, good looking guy like Jonathan Brandis was. I went with focusing on the young super genius side. Okay. I went with a kid who I think could kind of play a little bit nerdier, a little bit like super geniusy, and probably maybe hopefully grow in to you know some of his adult sex appeal if he could if he has it down the line. So I went with uh, a guy who I think would particularly play the nerd well, and that is Finn Wolfhard, who plays Mike in Stranger Things. Okay. So he's one of the stranger. He's even a little bit. He's a little bit younger than your cast, but I'm kind of focusing on the young super genius. I actually like that. It, it went a little bit different. I think I like yours better than mine because I just, again, I just went for the one-to-one on this one. Yeah. Uh, so I like that. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I'll take your pick over mine on that one. Sweet. I've never seen Riverdale, so I'm not sure how good this guy is, but um, I know the kids from Stranger Things are pretty solid actors. So yeah, that's I'll, fair. I'll take that too. That's fair. All right. So now we have uh, Lieutenant Tim O'Neill, who is the communications officer. Mm, okay. You know, it does look kind of nerdy in the way he looks. He's kind of lanky, wears glasses. I did kind of went for a one-to-one with this. I wanted someone who could probably be funny when they needed to be. Not to say that this guy looks like the guy who plays O'Neill, but my pick for him, because some of these characters, you really could put anyone in there and it really won't matter. Yeah. I actually went with Thomas Middleditch. Yeah, from Silicon Valley. Okay. Yeah. He could add something pretty damn solid and like he could do some more, even more comedy than uh, my choice. And he, I, I like that choice a lot, John. Cool. I went with, yeah, an actor who could kind of play the smart guy. I also went in, I wanted to add some non-white flavor a little bit, but he's a great actor. You probably all first saw him when he was winning a million dollars in Slumdog Millionaire. He can do some comedy stuff too, uh, but not as comical as Thomas Middleditch. Uh, but I went with Dev Patel as my tim o'neill okay he could do that fine but yeah i think i like yours better i think i think you win that round okay <laughs> Woohoo! next we're gonna do uh commander jonathan ford yeah he lasted the entire series as well yeah and he was kind of a he's kind of a hard ass from what i saw you know he's kind of like a straight laced kind of guy yeah uh from what at least from the episodes that i watched and and from the episodes i watched i can't really discern what his role was on the ship yeah, I think he was he was second in command. Okay. He wasn't as utilized as as someone like Commander Riker right. from Star Trek. You know, he was just kind of like, yeah, he was just like the second in command, but he was a little bit more like military-esque, a little bit more straight-laced. That's kind of wet blanket even almost, but uh, I could be wrong, but th- that's what I saw from, from the episodes I watched. Okay. I went a little, probably against type in this one. I've actually not seen this guy that I picked do anything really straight. He's, he's very much a comedic actor. I just like him, and I just thought, you know what, I bet he could do something with this. And maybe my sequest is turning it a little bit into a into a comedy from all the comedic actors I picked. My pick for uh, Commander Ford was Sam Richardson from the TV show Veep and from the TV show The Detroiters. Yeah. Oh yeah, I've seen that guy. I'm sure he could do it. I'm sure he could he could play that role. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen enough of him to give a good hard thumbs up on or a good hard thumbs down on. Okay. I went probably the biggest name actor 
uh, is who I picked for Jonathan Ford. At least he's been in the biggest projects. Uh, and he's was been known of being in other kind of military stuff. But in his other military stuff, he ran away. He's run away like a couple times. He ran away from the stormtroopers and he wanted to run away from the Rebel Alliance. I chose John Boyega as my Jonathan Ford. I, I think he could probably play this character just fine. He, he probably wouldn't. He probably wouldn't take a TV role like this if I had to guess. But I think John Boyega would 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 do it just fine. Uh, your pick's probably better. Okay. Your pick's probably better. It probably Sweet. fits the would fit the character more. He's done uh, sci-fi before, obviously. Right. Uh, and he's even done like military-ish to an extent before. Right. So. All right. So Catherine Hitchcock who I initially confused with the other woman who was the medical officer, but oh. Hitchcock was the <laughs> in chief engineer. Yeah, she was third in command. Yeah. So I think it was, so it was Captain Bridgen, Bridger, then Commander Ford, and then uh, Hitchcock was kind of like the, the order, the succession. This was one, one of the few ones in here I actually had a pretty easy time casting. My pick for Hitchcock is an actress named Anne Dudek. Uh, she's done a lot of sort of guest roles and a lot of things. Uh, she's one of my favorite side characters from NCIS. I know you don't like that show, but fuck you, I like it. The show is so fucking bad, John. It's amazing. <laughs> I love it. It's the best. She's also a character in one of my new favorite TV shows, The Magicians. That's on sci-fi. Usually plays some sort of a, a, a badass or hard-ass or something like that, but she's a really great actress in everything I've seen her in. I've never really seen her in much of a starring role in things. I always just see her in guest spots. I'd love to see her in a recurring role somewhere, and I think this would be the spot for her. I haven't really seen her much, but I think, yeah, there's a there's a lot of casting choices you can go with. And I think she looks the part. And who's your pick? And my pick was an actor who in, looks similar enough to Anne Dudek, I think. <laughs> She's been in some other sci-fi-esque kind of things, or at least fantasy type of things. Things like The Gifted and Scream Queens and American Horror Story. I went with Skylar Samuels. She's fairly accomplished, not super young, but like in her 20s. TV actress. This part of Catherine Hitchcock is an attractive, hard-ass female, and I think someone who has been in The Gifted and and uh, Scream Queens and American Horror Story can probably play hard-ass a little bit if needed. So, uh, so yeah. So that's who I went. A little with. bit younger than my pick, but uh... a little bit younger. Yes, yes, a good bit younger. <laughs> I guess like probably I think like twenty years younger. Yeah. I don't know. I have a hard time of uh, thinking of her as being third in command, just because just because she seems so young. But I, I checked. I think the actress who played Catherine Hitchcock was fairly similar in age. Age, maybe, maybe a little bit older. Maybe, yeah, probably a little bit older than uh, my choice. But yeah, fair enough. She does seem to play like you know, like the teens. Uh, Skylar Samuel still playing like the teenage and that kind of. Right. But your choice is probably better. I'm, I'm going to give you the win on that one. Okay. And now our our hero, our captain, our Jean Luc Picard of the undersea. <laughs> I want to hear your choice first. I had a couple different choices. So Captain Bridger is very, you know, he seems pretty mostly calm and collected, very intelligent, and he's kind of like a good leader. And it's also a very sciencey based show. But there was a couple of different people who I thought. I thought Greg Kinnear at one point would be good. Uh -huh. I don't see him in some stuff. I think Greg Kinnear would be a pretty good choice. Don Cheadle was another one that I threw out in my head. But I ended up going with someone who is an incredible actor. And since his show Breaking Bad has stopped, you haven't seen him doing enough big stuff. But I kind of want to see him go back to TV. And I want to see him really kind of bring some kind of strong character back. He was also very good with the science show shit in Breaking Bad, but I went with Brian Cranston as my Captain Bridger. I think, you know, he wouldn't be anything like his character from Breaking Bad, but like I think him as an actor, he could do it. I hate to admit it, but that's a solid pick. 
I mean, Brian Cranston's the kind of actor that you can put him in almost any role and be like, well, that's a pretty good choice. So it's kind of a, kind of an easy because he'll 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 elevate whatever it is he's doing and it would be nice it'd be an interesting change it's not the straight up comedy of malcolm in the middle it's not the seriousness of breaking bad it's somewhere where he can play somewhere in the middle yeah and he's versatile enough which you've seen he's done comedy he's done serious so he, he could probably make it work yeah all right my pick for captain bridger is a man who i think is long overdue to lead something it's a man who's taken us on voyages in space and in our minds, I went with LeVar Burton. Oh, that's pretty cool. Fuck yeah. I think LeVar Burton Damn. would make a great captain. Yeah. It's hard for me to like, <laughs> I can't poo-poo on that because <laughs> LeVar's awesome. And you're you're not wrong though. He does deserve, He it'd be nice to have him like lead something because he's, yeah. Fuck John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Cranston is maybe the better actor. And not maybe, he's definitely the better actor. Yeah. Uh, and he could probably like play that part better. But my heart totally goes to LeVar <laughs> Burton with you. I'm just all for that choice. That's good. I like that we a lot. We can have LeVar play the captain and then Cranston just can, kind of come in as like an admiral from time to time. Yeah, that, I could, that could work. To play, off of, uh, to play off of Burton. I think there was a lot of good back and forth on this. A lot of, I like my choice, I like your choice was going on in this one. Yeah. This is a series, and I will say this, I usually hate it when they reboot stuff. This is a series, I think if they take the idea and they put some good writers on it, you could redo this well. Yeah, as as disappointed as I was in, in rewatching the show, like the overall premise, I think, could still work. Yeah. And it's one that they should give a shot again. I agree. So that is our casting for Sequest. Please join us next time for a military episode. We review the 1993 movie Sniper and the 80s cartoon G.I. Joe, and then we do a casting of Sniper. If you have any questions or any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like for us to review as part of your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at at blastpastcast. That's at Blast Past Cast on both Facebook and Twitter. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time.